Hello, welcome back to the Otter Culture Podcast. This week we have none other than Swindon Wildcats number 28, Stevie Whitfield, on the podcast. Ben, how was it for you? It was a great podcast, uh, great to dive into mental health a bit more. Me and Stevie both shared our experiences with anxiety, panic attacks. Uh, it was quite eye-opening to see someone who's obviously a bit of a... You, I think you have to be a bit nuts to play ice hockey. Nice to see a guy that tough talk about something that hard. It's interesting that Stevie has opened up quite... He's opened up quite a lot on the mm. podcast here. Yeah. Um, didn't expect it at all, but um, it's a, yeah, it's a really great episode. Um, I, th- I think you're going to enjoy it. So um, please plug in, turn on and enjoy. So we're back. This is episode three of our the Otter Culture podcast, except this time we have none other than Stevie Whitfield on the podcast and Ben's joined us for this one. Hello. How is it? It's good. We've got, I can't remember the last time we had a beer on a podcast. Wow. It has been a while. Stevie, how are you? Um, I'm really well. We, yeah. Well, I know you through years of hockey. Ben knows you through several beering sessions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to those that don't know you, who who are you? Um, I'm Steve Whitfield. Um, I'm, people might know me from playing ice hockey for the Swindon Wildcats. Yeah. That's probably, if anyone knows me, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been playing hockey for? Uh 20 years something like that from yeah. you know like yourself young age and then played for swindon now i think i'm in my 12th season jeez is it always been swindon as well always swindon yeah never anyone else <laughs> no it's mm-hmm. quite a physical game it is uh how is it as a you know as a man having to turn up to a game every single week getting battered about is your body and bruised and battered most games um i'd say it's got less physical the older i've got well it's just as physical but it's a lot less violent i'd say um, I think when I was younger and broke into the Wildcats, sort of the level I play at now, games were quite violent. Um, whereas now it's, um, you know, with everything, everyone's more aware of head trauma and all these things. So mm. the game's developed and they've tried to, it's trickled down from the top level in the world. Um, we're more aware of the damage we're doing to ourselves. So they try to limit that damage if they can, yeah. um, but still maintain a, you know, a fast paced physical game that people want to watch. Yeah, when did you um your break into the like the main Wildcats team? You were playing ENL for quite a few years just before that, weren't you? I remember like playing beside you in the ENL, and then you would start playing a lot for the Wildcats, and then this it was is, straight uh, into it. Dan tried to turn it about him, I think. <laughs> <laughs> My fail. So I, yeah, I I played in the ENL for I think it would have been four years mm. for about eight, maybe maybe yeah, about four years. So I was sixteen, still in junior, played a bit then. And then uh, full time, maybe two years. I was I was about twenty twenty one when I broke into the uh, senior team, and uh, yeah, so it would yeah it would have been two years full time ENL. What was the transition yourself. like going from well being a younger player in such a man's team like a man's strong team? Um, yeah, I suppose. I mean, the the first bit of it is they they sort of say, oh, you have some ability to play. And then it comes down to you need to physically be a bit bigger just mm-hmm. to handle the the workload of playing. Um, so that was the main transition was just, and also just the number of games. It's, I think, yeah, now now you play, I should say NIHL too. You play about 25 games a year. And I think last year we played about 70. So Jeez. it's 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 a big workload, but it's, I say it's, it's not similar to other sports where I, I think you need more time to recover. So roughly on a, a game day, I'll play anywhere between... 18 and 25 minutes of actual on ice time Mm -hmm. so the recovery is easier 
but again yeah it's just you know a case of sort of as you get older you just get used to it and you recover where you can did you guys play together uh we did yeah what, what was um what was dan like on the ice dan was good yeah dan was good wow. wobbly I was hurt. no not wobbly at all <laughs> I'd say that. I, I don't think I made him look good either. It was, <laughs> yeah. But we, yeah, we played defense together. Yeah, I remember um, vividly, I think I was coming up like maybe under 18, so I was still in the cage, still one of the younger people on the team. And Stevie was like, you were like pretty senior in the, the ENL team back then. Well, yeah, that bonding. was weird because <laughs> we had a group that sort of broke through all together. We were all about 18. None of us, well, I think Kieran Long obviously went off and did his thing, but um, most of us were sort of at a level where we were going to play that for a little bit at least yeah and uh so but being a two two years in the nl kind of makes you a veteran because no one stays in that team that long really mm -hmm. you know there's a few have like will and sully but yeah normally if you're in that team for more than two years you're you're pretty experienced and um i remember going to an isla white game and getting on the bus being a young guy and everyone around me was playing cards and you were betting Pretty, pretty good. Well, back then it felt like a lot of money. I remember twenty pound notes being flashed about. <laughs> oh, I know. As a junior, I was like, "What? These guys? That's are a lot of money oh, now." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, if it, it was a weird mix because you had, you know, you had older guys like Goffer, who's, yeah. you know, at the time twenty quid wouldn't have been anything. But I remember if you won, you were like, "Oh my god, I'm loaded!" Like, what a week I'm going to have. Yeah. Uh, and we used to play, yeah, a lot of cards, and it was it was just a good time. Like we had a lot of friends in the team, and we just, you know, a lot of cards and nights out. I remember. <laughs> Can we talk about that yes. night? This is so. This is going. We're going to show our age a bit, I guess. But this was walkabout. I think it would have been. Christ, yeah. that's my, a long it time was, ago. It was my seventeenth birthday. I'm pretty sure. Wow. After a game in Oxford, seventeenth birthday, and I don't know whose idea it was, but I won't incriminate them. Um, but we got someone's idea, and Dan went out, and it was. Nice. Uh, Tended to be like 26, got away with it, obviously. Yeah. Looking old at, tw looking old at 17 yeah. years old. I think you looked older then <laughs> yeah. than you do now. <laughs> yeah, in Walkabout. And that was about the only bar in Swindon that was playing Arctic Monkeys. I think, hey. I just remember that. That was, it was amazing. Good. It was a good mix. I liked Walkabout. Yeah. Did I, you ever go I there? never went. Nah, my first one was Bushwhackers and I, I basically edited my own passport. What? I got I got a girl from college to photocopy a zero from my passport and put it on the four at the end of my birth year. Wow. So I was 21. It made it made me 21 when I was 17. And then I remember the bouncer asked me for my ID. And I gave him my passport. And I'd been going over my new date of birth in my head consistently <laughs> for ages. And he's like, when's your birthday? I was like, 23rd of March. Oh oh, fucking panic to send zero zero, and he's like, "Yeah, go ahead, mate." And I was like, "Sort, sorted." Wow, <laughs> what was it like going into the changing room? Because I remember like the pressures of being in a changing room full of what felt like you know what is more experienced players. Did you ever get nervous when you kind of was going into a changing room full of players that you kind of not looked up to but were at the next level? Yeah, I'd, I'd say looked up to. I mean, I I was weird when I was younger. I never, I think some people when they're young, they're like, oh, I want to play in the NHL and all these things. Mm. I, I was quite young when I wanted to play for the Swindon Wildcats or, I mean, then they would have been the chill, maybe the Lynx, whatever. I was like, mm. oh, I wanted to do that when I was older. Um, And then, yeah, you you go into a room and there are people there who've obviously been there a long time. I think at the time, Lee Braffrate would have been there, uh, Fidzi. As a, it was sort of, again, a group that broke through together. So they, it was quite an, I wouldn't say intimidating because they weren't they'd obviously try and welcome you in but I think the other thing that's different I suppose when you go into that and it is so many games it's it the professionalism shows in a different way that you're sort of 
you can't be affected by results as much as we were. So we weren't, you know, if you won a game, you weren't going to walk about with Dan and fake ID. <laughs> uh, you just go on to the next one every time. And that's still the same now. I think that's probably the biggest difference. If someone who watches the games, they'd probably be quite surprised at how relaxed the room is before a game in between periods. It's not, you know, it's not sort of rah-rah. It's just we know what we need to do and we carry on. So I think that took a bit of getting used to. But once you get used to that, it's it's quite an easy transition to make. Yeah. How about making mistakes? I remember in training sessions, if you weren't, uh, if you didn't take a pass right or you did something a little bit wrong, <laughs> you play with that in your own head. Did you ever get that? Yeah, definitely. I think I've, I've heard the same. I don't know whether this is saying or not, but you'd sort of, you have to build up money in the bank to make mistakes in games. So if uh, I'd play defense, Dan played defense as well. Um, I'd hate to be a goalkeeper because you make a mistake as a goal. Yeah. If you, if you make one in defense, it's possibly a goal. Hopefully not, but sometimes it is. Um, so sort of over time, you have to build up good performances. And then when you do make a mistake, you just have to shrug it off and get on with yeah. it. And uh, yeah, and then in training, I mean, I know, in the, you know what it's like when someone young goes on training and the puck turns into a grenade every time they touch it, it's, <laughs> that's just something that happens. And then uh, eventually you calm down and you sort of, you find your level and you can get on with it. You know, I've got a two-game track record with the Wildcats. I made it to the Wildcats for two games. I got, in the first game, I went out, my first shift, Oldie was coaching. I went out and need someone, got a penalty. They scored on the penalty. <laughs> and then I tripped all the way up to Sheffield for my second game. I only got one shift in the first, went to Sheffield. I got another penalty and they scored on that one. <laughs> I played two games, two penalties, <laughs> and they scored twice against us. And they're like, I'm not putting him back in the ice again. <laughs> oh, man. I must have fell over so many times as well. I'm pretty sure I fell over in the warm up on that too. Like, bad, bad fall overs. For someone who doesn't play ice hockey, it's like, it, I look at it and I think it's such a high skill cap because you, you have to play hockey and then you have to ice skate at the same time. It's like you're adding two very difficult things with no skill together. It's, yeah, I, I struggle with the skating mainly. Yeah. yeah, I think it shows like, like most people, even like we play a relatively low level of ice hockey. It's, you know, the British League, the elite leagues built up a bit, but the level we play is relatively low. But everyone who plays started when they were, you know, below 10. Yeah. But, you know, and you have to have that skating ability to even think about playing. So, yeah, you have to be able to skate to a certain level and then you don't really think about it anymore. It just happens. It's like walking. Uh, yeah, it's like running or anything, you know, football. You're just running, but skating and it's uh you have to have that otherwise you just you're gonna get two penalties and not play again i remember we, <laughs> I remember we used to do we used to do a couple of films for the wildcats we used to film some of the games and i remember i used to really just hold out for the fights uh we never really saw any big fights i don't think not no. a, not in a wildcat game do they happen as much they don't really happen no, as much anymore right not as common as they used to be used to be like one a game maybe i think mm, when i started really? and it, now it's there's uh, particularly our team i think guys are a bit older um yeah they're older and they've kind of they've done the fighting and then you you're just intimidating to other people without really having to do it anymore mm. uh but it's it it's definitely less common than it used to be and i i don't know whether that's sort of the the game's changed a bit so you can't carry a guy who is just gonna fight you all have to be able to play so that I mean that was that happened before I broke in really. So everyone who fights now, they're good players. And then, uh, yeah, you sort of you sort of, you can't have someone who's just going to fight anymore. And that was something that people did, like Goon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, yeah. You have a team. There would always well, yeah. be one tough guy on a team who would literally be there to look after other people. <laughs> That's if, it, if shit went wrong, they would. That, that was their job. 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, and it yeah, it just can't happen any, anymore because I think everyone has to be contributing something yeah. other than that. When was the last time you had a fight on the ice? Do you remember? Oh, I don't fight. Never. So, um, I've had scuffles. I wouldn't say I've ever had a fight. It's not fake, so... Yeah, I wouldn't really volunteer to get punched in the face. Um, <laughs> That's logical, yeah. And yeah, I, I don't think I'd be very good at it. Um, and I've, you know, I think if you don't do it, there's things you can't do while you play. Mm. You know, if there's certain things where you might not have to fight, because I don't think anyone has to fight anymore. But if you're gonna hit someone from behind, you're, you know, running around slashing someone or whatever, expect to fight. You, then. You'd have you'd be expected to respond. Um, so you kind of just have to play clean and be very respectful to everyone. Hopefully, they don't fight you. <laughs> you, know, you know, you said that they, the, you know, you said they, they don't they don't fight as much anymore. Um, does that mean the refs don't let them as fight much as well? Then do the refs call it off? Um, I I think it's more of a. I don't think the the sort of penalties for it have changed right too much. Um, it's I'm pretty sure it's still a two plus two, or it might be five minutes. Yeah. Um, it, it's more of a sort of cultural change within the game where it's not as common for safety uh, yeah I think that that's probably one of the main things because it's you know they've done a lot for sort of taking away head contact so hits to the head get penalised mm. more heavily and uh, hits from behind get penalised more heavily so you're avoiding damage to the neck and the head and then at the same time there's this sort of weird thing where you're like we're going to do everything we can to stop this but we'll still allow people that have bare knuckle fights yeah. <laughs> you know so it's yeah it's so i think just that sort of change between between the sort of rules and the culture has changed mm. that and was, that means it's way less common yeah that was the weirdest thing about watching my first game is the fact two guys had a fight and the refs are just skating around them yeah. i'm thinking what yeah. the fuck is going on why aren't they stopping the fight and then you're like oh no it happens all the time it's part of the game and i'm thinking yeah i mean you I, are. I don't know whether they're what it is, I think it's something to do with just line, the safety of the ref as well. So it's they always say, oh, if it goes to ground, they can break it up. Yeah, they normally would. And two guys who are fighting, if it goes to ground, they normally they would stop. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, as a ref, you're not you don't want to get involved when there's punches being thrown and arms going everywhere. Like, it's yeah, I think it, for your I safety, mean, one, yeah, staying. for your safety and also the safety of the player, because if you're if you go in and too early, I mean, it's a difficult job to mm. break up a fight between two people. Because if, if you go too early and you grab someone's arms and the other person hasn't stopped, you're not just endangering yourself, but you're also endangering the person they can't defend in the themselves. fight because yeah. they can't defend themselves anymore. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think, I you know, I've seen it where it's it's clear that one person isn't willing to fight. And in that case, the ref will normally, they'll come in a bit earlier. But if it's two people are willing, they, they normally, you know, they'll f throw punches until, I mean, it's very tiring from, well, not from experience, but from what <laughs> yeah. I'm told. Yeah. Have you seen... Have, what results have you seen from a fight? Have you seen some bad injuries from it? Um, what's, what's the worst injury you've seen on the ice? The worst? I had that question lined up. Did you? Yeah. I, I knew it was a Ben Lawton question coming in. I think the worst one I saw was, um, so we were playing in Sheffield and uh, Aaron, who's our coach, has gone in for a, a puck and I think the guy tried to stick lift him and he's missed him and he is just really cranked upwards that way and he had a cut from sort of his nose down to... Down that, you know, that crease there? I don't know what it's yeah. called. Under your, like, cheekbone? Yeah, kind of under your cheekbone, but it was fully through and through. Fuck. So that was a bad one. That's probably the worst I've seen. I've, you know, I've seen, like, people get broke. I think Betsy broke his knee one year. Oof. But you just didn't know what it was until 
after so cuts tend to be the worst you see because yeah. it's so apparent what it is it's such a huge investment really like this you're investing your body into a sport i mean quite a few guys in the sport as well or in your team still have a normal job too right yeah i'd say the majority uh, so a lot I've, of people work yeah. alongside playing hockey so they're playing hockey on a weekend potentially putting themselves in a fighting situation getting mm. fucked up and then going back to work on the monday that's quite a commitment yeah yeah i think so but they yeah they they kind of um you can kind of it's not that common to have that bad an injury i'd say i mean yeah. touch wood i haven't had to any really bad cuts that i thought oh, i can't go to work um but yeah you you have to sort of balance it between the two and i think that's normally that's what happens when someone gets older is that balance changes so from maybe like 20 you know your prime i'd say 20 to 27 28 hockey's probably your main thing and you work alongside it and then at a certain point that kind of flips and you know you think oh, i need to i need to get work together because mm. i'm not going to be doing this forever and at, at that point that's when you probably become more aware of it but it isn't i wouldn't say the injuries are super common yeah it's relatively safe within reason mm. it's also the commitment the, the one thing that i found when playing hockey and that was just before we kind of started otter was the commitment to it every single weekend and the training within the evenings and it was like we were trying to we were growing a business or just starting out business I was right i either have to commit myself to hockey and like back then it was a hobby that i was paying to do or mm -hmm. like commit to this and obviously i'm i'm glad that i did this because it mean that we could grow this and i'm now at a stage where i can go back to hockey if i wanted but yeah how have you found that as like a life a commitment that you lose, you know, you lose every single weekend within a season. Yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, I mean, up up until about twenty five, I didn't really think about that. Um, it was always I worked alongside playing hockey, um, and I want hockey is what I wanted to do. You know, I I never wanted to do anything else, so it wasn't much of a sacrifice. And then I think, yeah, as you get older, that balance, you know, you have more going on at your in your home life and your. Uh, your work life as well mm -hmm. and uh I, it's a trade-off because you know i would say oh i would have started a business or whatever because i probably wasn't passionate enough about that i was passionate about hockey so mm -hmm. that's what i did um but you know not it is definitely a sort of you sacrifice quite a lot of things during the season to be able to perform at a level that you need to and that's i think it's easy to do if you're passionate about it and that's one of the good things about the level we play at is um you know, I, I don't think it would be a secret to say we're not, no one's getting paid like life-changing money or even, you know, you, a lot of guys work. So if you're doing it, you are passionate about it and you love doing it. So everyone's in the same boat. And I mean, I think it makes for a good good league and a good team when you get a group of guys that just want to be there. Mm. Um, you know, you never have someone there who's just taking a paycheck because why would you? Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. That's cool. And what about the, um, do you ever feel pressure from the fans? Do you ever feel pressure from like external sources? Um, you can do. I think I think you normally, f not necessarily from the fans, mm -hmm. but if if there is pressure from the fans, it would be, it would kind of get to you through the coach or through management because yeah, yeah. they're they're really dealing with mm -hmm. you know are we getting enough bums on seats and that's ultimately the business side of it is if we're not performing and it's so bad that people don't want to come watch then it's yeah. it's bad for business so i i think you can get that sort of pressure and you can feel it i we've been relatively successful over the last sort of three or four years so the sort of the margin for error is a lot smaller than it used to be i i mean we can lose two games in a row now and it's quite it, you can feel a bit of pressure we need to get a performance and win 
whereas it used to be when I first broke in, we were much further down the table. As long as you were sort of playing well at home and competing, that was normally enough to keep people happy. Mm-hmm. So it kind of changes, but I, I wouldn't say I feel it personally from fans. Um, and the thing is, you, everyone wants the same thing. I'm, I'm much happier when we win or we're doing well. And obviously, I'd imagine the fans are much happier when that's happening too. Yeah, yeah. It definitely must affect the changing room too, like the mentality of the team. Yeah, I suppose so. I, I think because you're, you're down the rink all the time. So it's um, when you're in a bad run, the rink's not as pleasant a place to be. Yeah. And it's that's one of the difficulties. And you try not to affect your... Uh, and then the other thing is just like, you know, if you're losing, you're in, a, yeah. you're in a bad mood for the week sometimes. I'm better with it now than I used to be. Yeah. When I was younger, it was like, you'd be in a bad mood all week if you lost. That's changed now. You don't want to say it. It's, yeah, it's not a case of not caring, but you can sort of compartmentalize it a bit better. Yeah. And when it comes to, you know, about the whole essence of why we're doing this podcast is about the mental health of men and how, you know, it's a... common said thing that men don't openly talk about their their mental health and how they feel and their feelings when it comes to a a group a 22 guys in the changing room is would you say ice ice hockey is a sport where you do talk about that or is it still kind of is there still a stigma around that within this sport Um, is it something that is changing because i don't know i mean it's probably like it for loads of groups of men yeah i i I mean it's very difficult for me to talk about is ice hockey and comparatively because i haven't played anything else at an, a high enough level to know yeah i i think if you have a group of uh 20 25 men uh, and you're all sort of uh you know you're 18 to 35 40 we know that that's the main issue that you're going to face in your health life at that time mm-hmm. probably so, you know that's the odds of what's going to happen um so i don't know i we don't i i would say i when i've gone through stuff like that i've never really lent on hockey as much not because i i don't know i think you see it more as not as not as coldly as a job but i think part of you might get this as well dan is that with hockey it's very much you don't want to be a weak part of the team yeah and, yeah, yeah. and you sort of reckon it if you feel that you're you, you're having a mental health issue or you're having any other any sort of issue you're having is affecting your performance you don't you i wouldn't say you'd hide it but you kind of want to be able to sort of separate the rink from that so you can go in do your job and then come away and that that's not necessarily a, a great environment to be able to talk openly about things and i you know i think in my case if it ever has happened i i would be more likely to lean on family and friends than hockey um uh, yeah i don't and i don't think it's necessary that hockey is a bad environment for it i'm sure if i went to someone in that from that part of my life, I'm sure I'd get great support. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just, um, I think it's more something that you, within yourself, that you think, no, I, I can't do that because it will affect the way I'm looked at in the team, mm. possibly. Yeah, it does make sense about being like a, a weak part. Well, you know, in your own head, you start to yeah. think, oh, I don't want to share this. Like, I mean, I think we're all pretty open here, would you say? But like, I, there's probably been times when I've like not felt great and I'm like, well, you know, if we're on a big shoot or something like that, and I'm like, I'm feeling very fucking stressed right now, yeah. but I'm not going to share that with the team because I don't want to get them as stressed as I am because yeah. then we're all going to be in a right mess. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I guess you turn of, around and be yeah. like, I'm fucking stressed. Yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to hold this in instead. Yeah. It's, it's a weird time. It's true though. Like the whole, this is this is like the catch, it's a double-edged sword of mental health, I think sometimes. It's like when I've suffered with anxiety in the past, it's it's always been like, you know, it's scary 
having anxiety mm. and it, it, the first time I experienced it it was really fucking scary because I didn't yeah. know what it was but the superpower that I found within it was opening up yeah and as soon as I started chatting to anyone about it it kind of it chinked away at its armor so what 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 did your anxiety sort of present symptoms wise I woke up in the middle I woke up about six in the morning and I had a I thought I was having a heart attack yeah. My, my chest was going. I had no idea what was going on. There was, I wouldn't really say there was anything too stressful going on in my life. I can't, no. even today, I can't think of any significant thing that happened that triggered it. Wow. Drove myself to the hospital in a Twitter I go, pretty much <laughs> going for red lights. I, I mean, I don't know how, but I was man- I managed to speed in that car. <laughs> Got to the hospital and they were like, I went to A&E and um, I was like, I, I think I'm having a heart attack. I need to see someone. They were like, okay, love, go sit down. I'm thinking I'm head go fucking sit down i'm having a fucking heart attack was your heart beating loads yeah, yeah it just you can literally hear your heartbeat it's wow. all like it's like it's all you can think about and i'm like obviously it, it wasn't a heart attack yeah. i was having a panic attack yeah um someone i think I, I collapsed on the floor in the waiting room probably half like dramatized it so i could get seen and half <laughs> legit yeah um and then they came in they measured my heart and stuff check what was going on and they kind of calmed me down and then they said like, it was an anxiety attack or a, or a panic attack and after that, I was a bit like, okay, well, I don't know. That was like, if anything, that was worse. Because if I had a heart attack, it might have been like, all right, Ben, stop eating, stop eating shit. Yeah. Stop drinking. You know, you can fix that. You can identify what the problem is. But because it, it was panic and it was anxiety, I was like, what do I do with this information? What What am I supposed to change in my life to fix this or, or to make sure it doesn't happen again? Uh, yeah, that's the toughest thing, I think. I'm, I'm, so mine is panic attacks as well. Mm. Um, I've had them sporadically since I was young. I can remember having them, and uh, and it. I think it becomes a case for me. It's always just been a case of management rather than yeah. some sort of cure. Um, and then I mean, we'll probably talk about it later. But there was one point where I, I would say I didn't manage it, and then it just got worse and worse. So I don't know. Do you find you have them often, or is it just sort of out the blue? I'd say now I've now I know I fully understand what it is and what what causes it and what maybe the triggers are I have a lot more control over it mm. to the point I wouldn't I wouldn't I'd never say for a long time I thought I was I, I had cured myself of depression of um, anxiety I suppose you could say but that's not the case and I remember I remember I flew to Iceland well, after that incident I started having like anxiety where I became aware of my breathing and it's something called conscious breathing around anxiety mm-hmm. and I couldn't I couldn't not think about breath to the point where like if I, I my my mentality was if you if you forget to breathe out you're gonna die and, th- and therefore I'm like constantly you know I'm thinking about breathing it's all I can think about. I remember you were yeah. at desk and you came in and said, Dan, I'm gonna have to go home early because I literally can't focus. I can't I can't help but think about my breathing. Yeah. And, and I was like sat there like <laughs> prior, like I was I mean we we're pretty young and I was just like sat there like the fuck is he talking about yeah. what do you mean is he on acid and then was- Kez was like really empathetic and she knew exactly where you're coming from but mm. I was like that was like this anxiety thing you're talking mm. about why are you talking about your breathing but yeah. yeah and that's the other thing is that you know I didn't know what was going on I didn't yeah. know like how common it was and there's yeah. different triggers for different people um, and this went on for months and months and months and I kind of like I went through ifs, ifs and buts about it I never I never really got to a point where I was going to have a panic attack like that first mm. time then I, I caught a flight to Iceland um, and had a panic attack on takeoff, and luckily this woman next to me she managed to calm me down. Yeah. But I remember thinking, "Fuck, that was terrifying." Because you're in a plane, and then after that, planes became triggers for me. Yeah, I found that that um, driving in traffic, planes, anything where it's sort of because once you get into that state of you're having a panic attack, if I mean, there's 
I would say if you, if you had one before where you um you felt it coming on and you've mm. maybe been able to prevent it going yeah. full blown yeah because there's nothing quite like that when you've been having them so I had them for a little while and I remember the next the f- first time I thought oh no because it's I've, I think part of them becomes the anticipation of it yeah because you you know I I I got to a point at one point where I was sort of I night was difficult because I would just know it was coming uh, it was uh, I had the same I was roughly one a night and and but once the first time you have one and well have one coming on and then you control I wouldn't say control but you prevent it going you know driving to the hospital with it you mm. you sort of calm down yourself you think oh I've done it and uh, for, that was probably the change from being able to manage them because I you know yeah. sporadically I still have times where it comes on and then it's you know I mean I found breathing exercises help where it's like I can't even remember which ones they were. I spoke to a woman on, from the NHS on the phone yeah. at the time, and uh, it was it was to do with like uh, you were sort of counting your breathing, yeah. And it was like it was like two quick breaths in, deep exhale out, and you do that maybe ten times, and then it was just deep breaths through your nose, yeah. And that would and I don't know how it works, but it well, it works for me. It does, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it's only I mean I had one about I guess July time. I felt one coming on. Really ironically, I guess, because I, I got to a point where I felt pretty comfortable with it now and that mm-hmm. I could I could I could remove all my if, if I felt one coming on ninety nine percent of the time I could control it. Yeah. And then um I was about to go to bed with Amber and I think she said something funny and I laughed so hard that I winded myself and then I had to catch my breath after I laughed. Yeah. But then we went to bed and the whole night I was up awake trying to catch my breath. I couldn't catch mm. it again. And I was, was, I went back into that state of like conscious breathing again. So then I had to have a bath for like four in the morning, managed to calm down. It was crazy. (laughs) And I thought, fucking hell, it's back again. It, you know, and just as you think you, you're kind of over it, it it grasps you around the neck again. And then on the way back from Dublin on our stag do, Mm. I felt in the airport, I felt probably there's a lot to do with the anxiety as well about being hungover as fuck. Yeah. Because that, they, they don't mix well anxiety and hangovers. I remember coming back on, um, from, from Dublin I said to Dan do you mind swapping with me because I had a middle seat and Dan had a, an aisle seat and I was like I know if I have an aisle seat I can get through it mm. but if I'm sat in the middle between two people I'm, like, I'm just it's just going to make yeah, the whole it's, thing it's not even that you need to get up and walk around but it's just being able to it's the I option sometimes. yeah, yeah totally. it's strange totally um, yeah and then it's just been I, I find for me it's it's distraction some music mm. if I can listen to music any sort of music that can help take me out of it that works and there's i know there's there's strategies around like look at two things you can see something you can smell something you can yeah, hear Yeah, they talk about grounding yourself i've that's heard it. that before as well so that's can help some people i'm the, the thing is though i'm really glad that i went through it and i'm really glad that i still have those experiences because it makes me it makes me so much more aware about mental health but more so like if like when you describe your the, the issues you had with it, it's so much, I can, I can really understand what, what you went mm. through and how fucking terrifying it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing that's difficult to explain to someone who hasn't, who doesn't suffer from panic attacks or, um, hasn't been around someone that does is it is like you said, it's like, Oh, I'm dying basically. Yeah. I mean, that is it. It's, yeah. it's like, Oh, I'm dying. And, uh, and it becomes so difficult to once that thought enters your head, then it's like, Oh, this is going to be very difficult to manage. So, the, you know, like there's different ways that I'm sure for different people, it's different how you cope with them. 
Uh, mine was uh, I'd normally phone someone if I'm if I'm on my own. Yeah. So I'd be either ringing Millie or my mum, just someone, and talk to them, and that would be help me get out of it. Um, and then breathing exercises, really. What's like the feeling? Is it is it kind of like heart? Is it kind of heart palpitating? You feel like your heart rushes a little bit more, and you get like a bit tingly or like what how does that feel yeah imagine imagine when you, the feeling when you jump into really cold water and your chest tightens up oh, right. it, it tightens up and you, no matter what you do you can't seem to untighten it yeah. and then every breath you take it feels tighter and tighter and you get more shortness yeah. of breath and, and i've had have you ever had the sort of pins and needles in yeah. your hands and feet so there's a lot of different feelings for a lot of different people right it's not there's no i guess that's the thing as well there's no, no not everyone has the exact same feeling no definitely not and i like um i don't know whether it's because i i have some sort of hypochondriac sort of tendency mm. which i don't think i do but with panic attacks i definitely do because i instantly feel like i'm having a heart attack that's it yeah and then because yeah your arm gets tingly it's both arms but obviously you think oh my left arm's tingly yeah my chest is my heart's pounding out my chest you know and and yeah you're in fight or flight mode so yeah um once it goes full-blown you can't sit down you're just uh, well that i shouldn't say you i when i have them yeah um so i'll be i think in our old house we had it sort of the front door it was a long thin terrace house so i spent when i was having them at night i would just go downstairs and i'd walk from the back door to the front door to the back door to the front door wow in my head i'm thinking right when shall i call the ambulance and then and then eventually it would always alleviate and then you'd it would come along again and i it's not ever knowing it's going away because once nah. you've had one you kind of you recognize what's going on and logically you can say well you know i was fine after last time yeah, yeah. but um you still can't prevent yourself going to sort of that level of just you and know, yeah being... and even now there's times where like i can feel it coming on and and the i'm thinking I can control this. I know. I know what to do. Distract myself. Come out mm. of it. But th that that thing in the back of your head is always like, "What if this one you can't? What if this one like you can't get rid of this one? You're going to have a panic attack." You mm. know that always, that always is always there in the yeah. back of your head. But yeah, I think that's a different. Once it once they become uh, more regular, like I said, the the anticipation of them almost comes as bad as actually going through them because then you know you you know if it's at night time, I, I would normally be quite bad. Uh, when I was going through it, so that would be oh, like you'd you'd wake up, you hadn't had much sleep, you go to work, and you get through the day, mm -hmm. and then you're like, oh no, I gotta go home, mm -hmm. and then you because it's like there's this big spectre or whatever waiting for you when you get back, and yeah, it's gonna yeah. happen again, and then you know it becomes almost self fulfilling. Yeah. yeah. When do you when do you remember your first one? Do you remember the first time? Because you said it's been happening uh, for quite a, quite a while. Was there was there a yeah, period? I, or I something? used to have them. I I kind of I think when I was really young, I used to think it was car sickness. All right. Um, and they, I mean, I'm talking very young. Like I would have been like, you know, my dad's driving me somewhere. I've been like, like I don't know, four or five, eight, whatever. Um, but I kind of, I looking back on them, I think they probably were panic attacks because there wasn't much logic logic to them. Um, I wasn't nauseous or anything like that. And it would, and from what I can remember, which is obviously not great, um, they the symptoms were very similar. And then uh, yeah, I, I, the I mean, we got onto this, didn't we? Because we had a, do you remember, uh, was it Ericsson for Denmark? Had oh, yeah, the, the football player, yeah. He football fainted. player. So yeah, he, it's a heart attack on the pitch. He, yeah, I think I think he had a cardiac arrest on the pitch. And um, we were at the time, were around Millie's parents, weren't we? And that's kind of what got us on, me and Dan talking about us anyway, because I hadn't really told Dan about 
what was going what mm. I had ooh, it would have been about twenty eighteen ish. It got really bad. Um and yeah, talking about that and you it's strange how you become open about it and yeah. you can talk to anyone then. Really. Yeah. yeah. Did you find it hard talking to people once you was it does it almost feel like once you speak to someone about it? you feel a bit more comfortable speaking to other people? Or is it kind of, you feel like you have trust, not trust, but you kind of feel like you can relate to someone or you can talk to someone about that, but yeah. other people not so much? Did you find that? This, this, I think the more you speak about it, the, the less of a grip it holds over you. Yeah. So the more people you talk about it, it to, the more, so I guess you could find someone you really trust or a doctor or something like that to begin with. And then over time, the more people you can tell, the thing I think I think I spoke to Hannah Roke about it, and the one thing she said to me was that it's not a death sentence; it won't be forever. That really helped because once you start experiencing them, you think this is it now. This mm. is my life forever, mm. and that's horrible, and that makes yeah. it worse. Yeah. And then it was the whole. Um, she said the she said speak to people about it because the more people you speak to, the less of a grip it has, and that, I found that really to be true, very true. So, I think anyone I get a chance to speak to about it, I tell them about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, when we spoke about it in. 2018 or whenever oh so we, what stage no we, we would have been that would have been later i think so the time i was talking to you about was uh, i think about 2018 yeah um and then uh i can't remember when we were speaking about where well, it would have been the Euro, euros or whatever it was mm. so not too long ago um did you feel did you have these panic attacks during hockey or were there times um during sport see uh, yeah i the peak of so basically what happened was it was around that time hockey was actually going quite successfully so yeah. we um i think that year we won two trophies um which swindon hadn't done before so it's like things were good um and then yeah I, I i don't think i'd ever describe as having a full-blown panic attack but the difficulty became that um I, at the time i'd been playing for quite a while so i didn't really get overly nervous yeah but we played in we were playing in cup finals so i was a little bit like oh, this is something different i've not done it before yeah and nerves nerves would kind of present themselves as they normally do you know butterflies or you know your breathing's a bit different and then that was a very similar symptom to a panic attack and um so i think i i don't think i had a full-blown one but i had uh in the final of the, I can't remember what cup it was, but we played Basingstoke and I had a real hard time getting, recovering my heart rate back down. Um, so it's difficult to say whether I was in fight or flight, but I was, I was sort of maybe presenting symptoms, but that was kind of like the real start of it. So actually hockey didn't really, I wouldn't say I recovered, but I, by the time I, so we, this was near the end of the year. And it started sort of happening more more often than it had done ever before, and then uh, the year finished and we did well. I you know I kind of look at it as I got away with it because I was going through this at home, but I was okay. Yeah. To sort of model through, and then uh, and then yeah, um, over that summer, it progressively got a bit worse until maybe June, um, and then uh, I began to sort of. I think the first time so we were. I went on sort of a lad's holiday to Budapest. We never did that when we were younger. So we thought, oh, we'll all get together and go. Yeah. So that start, that I went there and I remember before I went, I was, I'm not a great flyer. Um, and before we went, I remember going to, I went to my mum's house and uh, that was the first time I said, I, like I said to her, I'm not sure I can go because I think something's wrong with me. Mm. And I remember that being a bit odd because I was like, there wasn't something wrong with me, but there kind of was. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and I, you know, I have a great relationship with my parents and she kind of talking to her made me feel better and it kind of put a bandaid over it for a while. And she said, oh, you know, you should go. You'll enjoy it. Just try and relax. So I went and then uh, I think we're in, we're in this great ruin bar, unbelievable place, Budapest, if you haven't been. And, uh, and I had a full blown panic attack. So uh, it was a busy ruin bar, like drinking all the sort of can trigger it i suppose but uh, so i went i went back to the hotel had a pat tried to lie down and the difficulty was i was sharing a room with like four other guys yeah. <laughs> so you're trying not to be like ridiculous so you're sort of led down and i'm like my legs twitching and stuff like that like it's just weird um and then i think the next day i sort of thought you know what? i i do need to go home like it's just something's I'll, I'll go i need to go sort this out really yeah um so millie booked me a flight home on my own i think it was I, all i can remember is i could only get into like gatwick or something my dad picked me up at about 3 a.m drove home um we were due to go on holiday actually i was due to go to budapest two and then two days back and then we were going to spain um and millie well i we didn't have much options so thankfully millie was okay with it we ended up going down to devon for a week which we go to regular and it was it's something um you're familiar with I, yeah and that really helped uh kind of i was probably at crisis point at that point and then it kind of got me to a level where i could then go i went and saw a gp um so it's, so for me when i saw the gp it was kind of um dealing with the hypochondriac side mm. of it so it was a lot of checking everything's physically okay yeah so i done that i had the same thing yeah and then so it's like uh you know i was um i had a echocardiogram which is kind of like a um i mean you know but you know when they do the uh on the lungs no oh, what a echocardiogram what am i thinking of yeah i think the echocardiogram is like uh like they do with a baby i don't know what it's called yeah you know when they do the um they look inside so they check all the ventricles and okay. everything's working that came back fine. And then I think I wore a heart monitor for 24 hours. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Uh, which actually coincided. So this was around the World Cup. So I watched England beat Colombia on penalties with a heart monitor. <laughs> <laughs> but the main reason I remember that is I, I remember going, like, just being socially awkward. I was in this, I was, like, going in to give them the heart monitor back. Yeah. And I remember, like, the nurse was there not really talking to me. And I said, oh. The results might not be great. I watched the penalties last night and she just didn't buy any of it. She just, <laughs> <laughs> she just looked at me quite coldly. I thought, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man. So, so, yeah. So what, when you were in Budapest, were, the, were your friends aware of it then? Um, uh, not aware of it leading into going to Budapest. Uh -huh. um, and then that was the start of having conversations about it. Yeah. Um, so it was it was kind of like a different group so some people i was r really close with and then mm. some people sort of more acquaintances friends in that yeah. sort of sense um so with them it kind of it was more sort of saying oh something's not right i just need to go home don't feel very well yeah and then there was a, f a few friends who were there um like i think coax was there aps yeah uh phil um darren was i think darren was there too fino like people i've known for a long time and i sort of told them what was going on mm -hmm. And first when they said, we was just like, yeah, get out of here, just go make sure you're okay. And yeah. that was it, really. And how did you feel after the hospital appointments and the scans and the heart monitor and stuff? Did you feel more at ease then? Did you I get the results that you kind of expected from that? I don't know what I expected, to be honest. Um, 
it was just I, I was kind of still in a bit of a blur so it was just kind of like well do this do this do this so i wouldn't yeah. say i wouldn't say oh i had that done and i felt instantly better there's i suppose there is mm. some sort of placebo effect of going to see someone about it mm -hmm. which always helps so that would be my suggestion to anyone is go speak to someone uh well speak to someone who you're comfortable to talk to yeah and then on top of that make sure you go see your gp or you know walk in somewhere yeah and uh yeah once you once you get to that point and you're sort of uh you're beginning to manage it i think that's the sort of start process yeah. and then and then from there yeah so from there it was kind of get the results back from that so i didn't really know what they were going to say because i still have been kind of like panic attacks on and off but you think oh they might just tell me like in my head i was thinking oh, i might not be able to play hockey again might have to change lifestyle completely it might be something major and then it comes back and they're like oh there's i wouldn't say the shame but it's almost like oh because they go oh, yeah these are fine you're fine and you think oh so it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's yeah. me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah you end up and then yeah i spoke to uh i think she was a psychiatrist it was someone it was on only on the phone i never went in person mm -hmm. um and that was just quick phone calls and it was more just a sort of follow-up because i spoke to the cardiologist and they were just like yeah you're fine yeah and then uh spoke to a uh then then sort of spoke through the gp because i you know told her what was going on and then yeah i spoke to someone about that and that's when sort of the breathing exercises came in and you know you have to try and manage it yeah where have you got to today with it do you think you think you're feeling way better about it you can you've got these procedures in place as to when something like that happens again you know how to do yeah, it yeah recognize them yeah um there's things you can do you know i i think the main issue is when they become regular yeah so if they come out they're gonna come out of the blue sometimes it's gonna happen yeah. i think so i think last when i had we were on the way back from devon i was with millie in the car and we got stuck in traffic around glastonbury festival okay that's quite we were listening to we were listening to a podcast about charlie bronson yeah <laughs> Yeah. Right? Not that that set me off, but yeah. within this podcast, they had a little game going. They said, oh, guess how many times he's been to prison or changed prison, sorry. And uh, every time he changed prison, they dung a bell. Yeah. And I don't know, for some reason, it just became quite regular. Trigger, and yeah. that kind of got me. I was oh, like, wow. I was stuck in traffic, which is something already. And I could feel myself. And then Millie, I don't, I don't even vocalize it to her then. She just looked at me and said, are you all right? And then turned the podcast off. <laughs> <laughs> just that uh, fucking bell. But, yeah. Right <laughs> I was like, yeah. And, um, but yeah, I wasn't fully blown, but it's one of the times that they do happen. It's, yeah, you're, I wouldn't say you're trapped, but you feel like, oh, it's like, you know, in close space. Well, yeah. yeah. It's quite nice that Millie's there to recognize when you're not feeling at your best. She can kind of pull you yeah, out of that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think when it, when it started, I was, when it started around that time, I was hiding it from her as well. Mm. Um, I, I don't, it's hard to explain why you do that, but you just do. It's, yeah. You know, it's um, whether there's embarrassment or, you know, uh, any sort of shame alongside of it, which I, and, or whatever stigma there is. It's also really fucking hard to explain. I remember yeah. when, I, when I explained to Dan about, I can't stop thinking about breathing. And I said, I know that sounds fucking bizarre, yeah. but I don't know how else to explain it. And you're there like, okay, mate. Well, um, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go home? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like. yeah. It's, yeah. It's not always easy to explain what's going on. Uh, you know, most of my conversations start when it initially started. So it would have been with my parents or with Millie was mm. like, ah, oh, something's wrong. Yeah. Would be the start of it. And then you'd have to try and explain what's going on. <laughs> it's nice to know that you, you called up the number, you called up the 
I guess the 101, you got some help through a psychiatrist through on the phone and you had these kind of conversations with professionals in that way. I think knowing you've got support there and also like having a nice network around you, like your your mum and yeah, it is important. That'd be the suggestion for anyone. Like it's, it's important to be able to, you know, you know, hopefully if, I mean, hopefully it doesn't happen. If anyone of my friends wronged me and had something like this going on, then you want to be there to help them. Yeah. Um, and then also, yeah, I, I would, uh, I would suggest if anyone's going through that sort of thing, like just lean on whoever's there. So yeah, I think anyone. part of that has to be professional help. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's obviously NHS is amazing. Use it. And, uh, and then the other part of that is talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to your partner, whatever. And that usually helps you get through. Yeah. I found, I find accountability is one of the most important factors, I think, for, for us as friends as well as business partners. But when I've spoken about issues I've had, just by bringing it up and talking to Ben about it, he's then like, are you going to book a doctor's appointment for mm. that? And like him yeah. kind of holding me accountable for like, because the other day I literally came into the office and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got a lump on my ball. And then I knew as soon as I aired that, Ben was like, <laughs> are you going to book a fucking doctor's appointment? Yeah. And I was like... I'm sure it'll be fine, mate. Like it's it's all good. It's all good. And then I did book one, and I went through the procedures of going to the doctors and getting it checked out. And it's all good. But prior to that, I would have just been like, I don't know. I'm a man. I'm stoic, and I can mm. get through this. I'm healthy. But man, like you need to have those friends, and also inside your own head, you need to be looking after yourself better. Yeah, it would have been really bad for business if we lost Dan. That's all. So that's kind of what I was chasing. <laughs> it was entirely for night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a mortgage to pay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need you for the next three yeah. years at least, mate. Yeah. Um, what a time! But what about the future for hockey for you? Um, yeah, I'm, just, I'm still playing. I've done ten years. Um, you start thinking about retirement in a mm -hmm. sense. Um, and then you had that, your testimonial game. Yeah. So that's it's. What's I don't that? know if that's something that happens in every sport. But in hockey, it's common if you play ten years for the same club. You ha they have a game to celebrate your time with them. Um, That's you, sick. You usually, you, you know, you sell tickets, jerseys and things, and um, all the proceeds go to you. Oh, so wow. So it can be, you know, it's uh, it was a really good day. Um, really enjoyable. Helped pay to, for the wedding a bit. That's awesome, <laughs> man. <laughs> but, yeah, it's um, – so, yeah, hockey's kind of uh, – it's kind of been aware that the end is – coming at some point mm -hmm. and then just sort of trying to manage how, how that's going to happen and but i you know i still love playing and it's uh you know it's part of uh, a big part of my life's up to this point yeah um, and then yeah it's going to be weird to sort of adapt to it not being there anymore yeah because you're going to need an outlet of sorts i suppose aren't you to replace it with yeah i, su I suppose so i mean i yeah i found i ch kind of changed career during covid got like <laughs> I stuck at my job that was to support hockey for way too long. Yeah. Um, and then COVID kind of gave me the kick up the ass I needed. And um, I found a job now doing sort of training to be a carpenter at the moment. And I love doing it. Um, so that's a, that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable that yeah. the end's coming. I think if I was still working in my old job and playing hockey, I'd be like, oh my God, what this, are you, yeah. you going to do? This is life, yeah. Um, but yeah, and that, you know, I, I think, part of you thinks as well it's nice that you're going to be able to spend more time with people and yeah. you know it's the the big commitment will end eventually mm. i don't want to make that sound like oh you you can't wait to not do it anymore because i i've loved every minute of it and i still do and uh but yeah that will come at a certain point i will be uh moving on i suppose we briefly talked about you becoming a carpenter <laughs> our mutual friend is will harding 
<laughs> how got, long, how long you, we got? Have you got any good stories about Will? <laughs> Just to finish off this podcast. What that I can tell here. <laughs> yeah, that's the caveat, isn't it? Oh, I, the only thing I, yeah, I don't know. The main thing about Will, well, one thing is he's an amazing human being <laughs> and a friend. We talked about having friends that you can lean on. Yeah, Will is unbelievable. Yeah, basically, like, if you if you needed anything, Will would. He'd do it for you. Yeah, yeah. like he'd be there. And uh, but then on him, well, one thing is he only sweats around his eyes, which is strange. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think once once you notice it, it can't be unseen. So it's particularly when he's drunk or. <laughs> Eating a you know eating a stodgy meal that normally gets him going. I'm gonna have to notice that now. <laughs> yeah, and then the only other thing is he he always wears a hat. Um, so when you're drinking with him, uh, just this, so the hat starts off kind of here, mm. and then you can sort of tell how many beers Will's had because it slowly just moves around there. <laughs> I don't know what it is because I don't I never see him touching the hat. He's not moving the hat. The hat just sort of goes. It's, it's this eye sweat that's just pushing it up <laughs> maybe maybe it's kind of under eye yeah, but, that's yeah but he's uh, one thing I've got to say is um, Will and uh, Benny who plays for the Wildcats as well um, I kind of I reached out to Will to try and think oh, you know maybe you can help me out get this job in carpentry he mm -hmm. did he, unbelievably supportive unbelievable friend and uh, you know the sort of people you want to surround yourself with yeah, if you're yeah. dealing, whatever you're dealing with because you, you need people like that in your life, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. I always, yeah. my favorite thing about Will is he's just such a fucking good storyteller. Oh. He's so captivating when he tells stories. I mean, he told you like the Ed the Head jokes. The Head joke? I don't know. I don't Ed the so. Head. No. All right. Tee him up next time you see him. Okay. It's okay. good. I'm looking forward to those but, shows. Yeah, he's, he's a just great, so captivating, great. isn't he, when he, he speaks? Is. He can hold court. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks so much, Stevie, for coming on. It's, yeah. Good yeah, that we finally, finally, finally got you in the studio. Yeah, we talked been about it for too, a while. Yeah, I'm we? glad we finally done it. Um, I'm looking forward to, to more podcasts in the future. Maybe yeah. we bring it, like maybe we can bring Will on and the, <laughs> you, you and Will can just jest in the corner. Yeah, maybe. I didn't see what Will could. I don't know what you want I, to talk about. We talk about. We just let Will just give him like. Yeah. Let him <laughs> Will would be nuts on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Sweet. <laughs>